1: Pittsburgh Steeler fans, it is time once again for another episode of Here We Go, The Steelers Show, as we get closer and closer to the start of training camp. Wow, we are talking Steelers. We're feeling good. It's July, and July is also the month that we get started, Kevin. Kevin Smith is along with me, the coach. What is going
0: on, KT? Nothing, bright Mid-July, and uh, you're right, we're about to amp up, so that's pretty exciting and uh I know that Steelers fans are, are uh, this is like a really interesting season of anticipation. I feel like a lot of Steelers fans are just uh, ready to get rolling so that we can see what we have. It's like one of those years where you just don't really know uh, what's in store.
1: Absolutely. And we know one thing that this team is going to be back at St. Vincent College. They are not going to be at Heinz Field like they were the last two years, in fact, we are pretty acro sure that they won't be at Heinz Field. We got to talk about that real quick, Kevin, because that's something that happened at the beginning of the week after 21 seasons of $57 million. Now, this field is a $150 million field for the next 15 years going to AcroSure. Do you really care? I
0: only care because it's such a terrible name. I, I, don't, I don't really – it will always be in my mind. It will always be Heinz Field. By the way, that that fifty-seven million you quoted is that the, that's the amount that, that that Hines paid over the twenty-one years. Is that correct? Well,
1: well, it was supposed to be fifty-seven for twenty years, and then they extended it one year because they played in their twenty-one okay. seasons.
0: Was that fifty-seven like not like purposeful because yes. of Hines fifty-seven? Oh, yeah, perfect. that was that was a that fun didn't number. seem coincidental. Yeah, okay. Uh, but you know, for sure, uh, I don't know. It just. It just feels so artificial, you know, and, and, for, and so forgettable. I mean, Heinz was a corporate name, too. But, it, but at least with Heinz, there's something like, you know, we know we, there's a brand identity. There's an association. I, I mean, uh, you, you might tell me 25 times what AcroShord does, and I'll never remember. Uh, it just doesn't feel memorable. And that's a shame because, you know, for the Steelers, you want there to be an identity there.
1: Yeah. And I get that. And I understand, I mean, I would love it to be a really cool name, but to be honest with you, all I care about is the product inside the packaging, you know, you right. could have the yeah. best packaging whatsoever. You can have the best name, the best atmosphere. And, you know, if the product is crappy, then, ugh. you know, I mean, we have had, how many places have had cool names in, And just a bad product on the field. The nice thing about this is I don't think those ketchup bottles are going away. So Heinz is still going to be involved in some way. If you look at a picture of the stadium from years ago, you look to the right of the ketchup bottles. There was a Coca-Cola, a huge Coca-Cola sign. Now there's a huge Pepsi sign. You have so many different sponsorships in that that stadium. It used to be the Coca-Cola Great hall. It's now the FedEx Great hall. So all those things are mentioned. So I wouldn't be surprised if they still sponsor the red zone and they keep those ketchup bottles there.
0: Yeah. That's yeah. The, yeah I, as long as there's a, you're, you're right. As long as there's a great product, nobody's going to care, but I'll, I'll probably wind up uh, referring to it in writing. Anyway, on the website is the, uh, the field formerly known as Heinz. I like the, uh, the Prince <laughs> association. There. Although somebody, somebody on Slack, Somebody, as a big red hot chili peppers fan, I I I love somebody on Slack said that they're gonna they're gonna call it Stadium Arcadium, which I, I thought was uh was great. That's a great Chili Peppers record from the, the 90s. So uh yes, indeed. So um, anyway, yes. In the big picture though, no, it really doesn't matter.
1: But it is not Californication and No, it is
0: definitely not that.
1: And that's something that's going on right, right now with SoFi Field. Eh, hey. They won a championship at SoFi Field, so yeah, I think they're okay.
0: I think if the Steelers win a uh, championship uh, at AcroShore, we're all going to be pretty happy about AcroShore.
1: Yes, and I heard this joke the other day, and I mentioned it on the air, and I'm going to go ahead and say it again. It was in a tweet. I thought it was really funny that uh, people will be complaining that even if the Steelers win, that they did it with Heinz Field players and not Acrosure players.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's good. I like that. I like that.
1: Speaking of the players that are going to be at camp, we got to talk about those guys. There are some guys that need to have a breakout season. Guys that are here already. And we're going to talk about the anatomy of a breakout season. What really is a breakout season? Let's get started there, Kevin.
0: Sure. So it's interesting. There are uh, some guys who come into the league um, with, pretty big pedigrees and, and are expected to do well right away. And and it just, it doesn't, it doesn't happen right away. You know, there's other guys who have uh, slow starts to their career, but you can sort of see them progress. They get a little bit better every, every year. And then, and then you get these sort of uh, you know, you get, you get the busts, of course, the guys who, who everybody thinks will do well. And then for whatever reason they don't, and then you get kind of the opposite of the bust, which is the, the obscure player who becomes a superstar, the, the, the Kurt Warner story, uh, James Harrison, if you want a more of a, a Steelers example, um, and and there's not there's not a hard and fast reason as to why any of those things occur. Uh, they, they they're very uh, nuanced. That's got a lot to do with with coaching and with the the personality of the individual and and their work ethic and their habits and do the, are they being drafted by the right franchise and put into the right situation and. Uh, there's a lot of variables as far as that goes. Um, but the Steelers ha- have a few guys this year who fans are hoping will have a so-called breakout year. and so for me what what that really means is these are guys that haven't exactly been uh, terrible, you know they've they've been in some instances uh, good contributors and reasonably solid starters. but in order for the for the team to really get to where it wants to go. These are guys who need to make a leap. They need to make a jump uh, and go from being uh, where they are now to being a, a, a much more well-regarded player. And so uh, we're, we're looking for, for that from a few guys this year.
1: Who's number one on your list, Kevin?
0: So I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm, I'm ranking these in, in terms of, of uh, overall importance, but the first name for me, that that jumps to mind uh, is Chase Claypool, because I think Chase Claypool, while he in his first two seasons has done some really good things, especially as a rookie, he had a, had a very good rookie year, especially with nine touchdown receptions, um, but seemed to level off a little bit last year. And there's a lot of reasons as to why that that is. Again, with the 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 woes in the passing game for the Steelers have been well documented, and they were a factor of. Uh, a bad offensive line that forced Ben Roethlisberger to get the ball out quickly, and then Roethlisberger maybe losing uh, a lot of his deep ball capability, and, and then Claypool largely being miscast in many regards. Claypool was was slotted a lot of times uh, as their deep ball threat, and and that's not really his strength. Um, I, I I thought Jeffrey Benedict in his podcast this week, the Cutting Room Floor, did a nice job of breaking down the Steelers receiving room, and he talked. A lot about Claypool really being put into a role for which he wasn't best suited. So, so for with the with the Steelers now uh, losing Juju Smith Schuster and and not really having a clearly defined so-called number one receiver, uh, Claypool and Deontay Johnson really have to to elevate their games. And Claypool's the guy who I think uh, it is the most imperative that he get there because he's probably going to be asked to play a different role this year it, it looks like they're going to use him in the slot a lot more than they ever have and that's not really something he's really done and it's an adjustment to play in there and so uh the potential for him to make a big leap is 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 great because if he's a good fit for that he could be a beast a 6'4 235 pound slot who can run 4-4 uh is just a, an amazing thing to have amazing tool for an offense. So he's got, he's got a lot on his shoulders this year, and, and I'm really looking for you know, you know, him to be that, you know, that, that first guy to really take that leap.
1: What do you think is the main factor in him taking that leap last, uh, this year? What could it be? What could be the number one advantage to him?
0: So the number one advantage could really be the scheme fit. Uh, again, last year he was predominantly put outside, played at the X a, a lot. And at the X, you're, you're an on the ball receiver where you, you can't really move or motion around much, which means you have to beat press coverage at the line. And a lot of times that means that if a team gets into, let's say a three by one formation, a trips formation with three receivers to to one side, the X is the guy singled up on the backside. And, you know, teams oftentimes look to, to, for that guy to be a home run guy to, to, uh, to run, Nine routes and post routes and, and deep corners and those types of things. Uh, and, and the way the Steelers did it last year, they, those turned into jump balls. They, they threw the ball up a lot and asked uh, Claypool to go get it. And that, that really wasn't something he was great at. What he is great at, what he, what he really looks the best doing uh, is, is uh, as a catch and run guy, a guy who, who can catch the ball. Uh, in sh- on shorter routes and then take off and, and work in open space. He's a beast with the football in his hands, and he's tough to get on the ground. And you get that opportunity far more in the slot than you do having to operate outside. And so I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, what, what are they going to do with Claypool uh, from the slot? And I'll give you one more, one more thing real quick. One of the things that benefits a slot receiver is uh, movement. In, in the offense, because play action, especially play action, really opens up the middle of the field, uh, the, whether it's the bootleg game or traditional fake to the running back to draw the linebackers up and run in some kind of over crossing route behind them. And uh, the Steelers have that that guy this year in Mitchell Trubisky, a play action quarterback. And, and Matt Cowan is expected to be much more movement based with his quarterback play. So that could benefit Claypool as well as the middle of the field opens up and he's able to take advantage.
1: Kevin, I would honestly think that the quarterback is probably a huge advantage to him, especially the change. You know, he wasn't always on the same page with Ben Roethlisberger. And this is not really a, uh, an indictment to Ben Roethlisberger, but there was a huge age gap between the two. And if Ben would get frustrated with a player, then he would find another go-to guy that he was more comfortable with. And sometimes Chase wasn't getting all of the uh, all of the balls thrown his way.
0: Right, uh, and Deontay Johnson and Roethlisberger did seem to have that chemistry, and so Roethlisberger leaned on him heavily. And then Roethlisberger got more reliant on Pat Friermuth as the season went, and they and those two seemed to develop some chemistry. The, the passing game under Roethlisberger was largely based on sight adjustment and sight adjustments are when pre-snap reads of the coverage and it's dependent upon the quarterback and the receiver seeing the same thing from the coverage and both making the same adjustments and I think you and I talked uh, on one of our shows recently about an example against the Ravens last year where Claypool missed the hot read And Roethlisberger, you know, had to throw a a ball into nasty uh, coverage and pressure as a result, almost wound up as a pick. And Roethlisberger came off the sideline afterwards and really ripped into Ike Hilliard as a result of it. And I just think that 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 one example seemed to maybe not define his relationship with Claypool, but to to, to sort of be a statement about where it was. And what you're going to get with Trubisky uh, is going to be out of the play action game, less sight reading. Uh, and more uh, of where the receiver is going to know that he's running to targets on the field. He's got landmarks that he has to get to. And the quarterback's going to be expected to get him the ball at those landmarks. And that, I think, will benefit Claypool to be a lot less thinking and a lot more doing. And sometimes for players, that's really the trick. You know, your, your brain uh, isn't overloaded so your body can perform at, at, at full go. And that may, might benefit him as well.
1: All right. Let's go to Vegas in the BTSC DeLorean. We don't have to go back in time. We're just going to go in time because it's going to be a fast car, anyways. So let's go ahead and do that. Let's place a bet on this one. Breakout season, Chase Claypool.
0: Are you putting your money down? I'm yeah, I'm optimistic. I, I think when I when you look at the Steelers offense, you you see uh great opportunities. For, for him, for uh Fryermuth, because I don't think that Deontay Johnson's going to get all those targets that he got last year. And I think that's a good thing. That's no, you know, not a, not a slight on Deontay Johnson, but they were relying on him to do so much in the passing game. And I think maybe taking a little bit of the burden off of him and putting it elsewhere uh, will, will be beneficial. And, and with the way Canada structures his offense, that elsewhere seems to be by attacking the middle of the field where big receivers like Claypool and Fryermuth are extremely useful. Deontay Johnson is a guy uh, traditionally who, who seems to operate a little bit better outside the hashes than in the middle of the field. So it seems like the conditions are ripe for Claypool to have that breakout season. And, and one more factor. I think that the addition, one of the, one of the most underrated additions of the offseason for the Steelers, I think, has been Frisman Jackson, the new receivers coach, who did some really good things in Carolina. And, and I liken Claypool to a bigger version of DJ Moore, who I see down in Carolina, who was excellent uh, under Frisman Jackson's tutelage. And, I, and if Frisman Jackson can do similar things with Claypool, he's going to be great.
1: All right. Well, let's take a break as we have more guys that they're in danger of breaking out not the bad way where you needed Clarice all back in the 1980s and when i say in danger everybody else is going to be in danger my friend so we're going to take a break we will be right back and discuss those players and more on here we go the Steelers show Ain't the worst looking man you've ever seen there I am on the subway train sit between the two finest girls Welcome back to here we go the Steelers show my name is Brian Anthony Davis Kevin T Smith is with me you could call him KT. you could call him the coach I'm sure people in New Jersey call him the legend What is up my man? Ah uh, nobody calls me that Brian no, <laughs> but I mean, you do and
0: that is the one that is the best thing that's the best thing that you do well there you yeah. go now, you're not even paying me it's it's just genuine ah oh, i appreciate that thank you uh hey brian uh to anybody who missed the first half of the show uh we 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 managed to uh, weave in references to the red hot chili peppers and clarisil so you never never know what you're going to get on this show here brian.
1: and back to the future too exactly yes and back to the future you know, I was thinking about the whole Claricil thing the other day. There's no advertisements for that. You're a teacher. Is
0: acne gone? <laughs> unfortunately, no. Unfortunately, unfortunately, it's a part of my daily existence as a teacher. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. I, mean, I was just wondering. I was watching. I was watching a, an old episode of Different Strokes yesterday. And in fact, I've been binging that lately. Just you know, going back in time and, and watching that. And they mentioned claricil. And no, I guess you, I guess that's why it's never, on my mind.
0: You've never enjoyed the, the the true reward of being a teacher until you've sat in class trying to teach a lesson while some 16-year-old pops his pimples in front of you. That's, oh. that's, real, that's when you know that you're living the dream, Brian.
1: <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Uh, yeah. I might have to go back and cut this, but no, just for f- pure shock factor, we've got to keep it in. Plus, there was right. a different strokes reference. So all I'm going to say is, what you talking about, KT?
0: Uh, Yeah. Yeah.
1: Moving on. Right. Moving on. (laughs) Let's do it. So we talked about Chase Claypool as a guy that really needs to break out. Who else do you have on that breakout list as a potential top candidate to do so?
0: So a guy I think who really needs to and who the Steelers really need him to is Chooks Sakura for who they signed to a pretty uh, handsome contract extension. And I think some people were maybe surprised by that. Um, weren't sure if, if he was a, a $10 million a year guy, he got in somewhere in that neighborhood with his contract. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it's a legitimate concern or a legitimate question. I mean, his production over the last few years has uh, maybe not been quite worth that dollar value. And I know it's a, a bit of an inflated market for, for offensive tackles. Um, but I think what the Steelers see in Okora for is an opportunity to be better in the the post Ben Roethlisberger offense than they were uh, in the previous one, because it's, it, it it seems with the play action game uh, with the expected emphasis on the, on the outside zone run play, that it's going to be much more of a, of a laterally based offense, that there's going to be more of a a horizontal stretch uh, in the offense. And, and a for athleticism lends itself well to that particular scheme. What he's not, And what he was often asked to do the last couple of years is to be uh, a guy who moves people vertically. He's not a, uh, he's not a, a, a big road grader. He's not a kind of guy doesn't play with a ton of power. Doesn't have, doesn't use great leverage a lot of the time and uh, doesn't get under guys pads and move them off the ball. And so to ask him to do those things is really not uh, playing to one of his strengths. And so I think one of the reasons the Steelers invested in him is because they think, in Canada's scheme, uh, it's going to benefit Okor for skill set.
1: Yeah, I would actually think so there because, you know, you're in a situation now with a player like that, that he's there. They need to have that guy really. I mean, he was a project when they drafted him back in 2018. And now he got a new deal, but he's got to take a huge leap. You usually want that leap from year one to year two but we'll take it now it actually has to happen
0: right and and if he can do it it really helps solve so many problems for the Steelers because his counterpart on the left side Dan Moore Jr looks like a guy who is going to be an NFL left tackle i mean he's got the build for it he's got the length uh, he was really thrown into the fire last year as a rookie And, and, and uh, a fourth round draft pick who few people expected to be the starting left tackle. And then there he is. And, and he's, he's being asked to play against some really good NFL pass rushers and edge players. And I thought he did a pretty, a pretty darn good, especially as the season progressed, he definitely got better as the season progressed. And that's that kind of growth that you saw out of Moore was, was really encouraging. And, And, and if it continues uh, then you know he seems like he's going to be he's going to be a cornerstone there for a while, uh, and and if Okorafor can do the same thing on the right hand side, then the Steelers have have locked down two of the most important positions on the offense. If if Okorafor can't do that, you know now they got to go back into the into the well and 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 either you know use a high draft pick there or, or throw big free agent money at somebody, and I'm sure that that's something that they they don't want to do again with the, with the price of free agents. Uh, it's just tough. And then now you got to bring a, a new guy in and he's got to learn the system and all of that. So, so they put a lot of money in a core force pocket uh, with the expectation that, that, uh, you know, the new offense will, uh, will benefit him more. And, and if it does, it's a huge win for the Steelers. Absolutely huge win.
1: Could it be even more crucial than that of, you know, Chase Claypool we just talked about him
0: right that's a good question I think uh what, what it's interesting when you look at, at where the Steelers put their free agent money uh on the offensive line now obviously they spent money on a core for uh to bring him back but the two big free agent investments they made were at center and at guard with James Daniels and Mason Cole and uh, I think that what that, you know, they, they, they recognized that they just weren't physically strong enough up the middle last, last year. They, they didn't, they were unable to really control the a gaps in the run game, the a gaps are the, the two gaps on either side of the center between the center and the guards. And, and they, they got absolutely no push in the a gaps last year. Uh, and even worse, they were extremely uh, vulnerable there in pass protection. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger was catching the snap, and so many times was unable to step up in the pocket uh, because he was getting a, a big nose tackle or or some kind of a stunt right in his face through the a gap, and 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 with his limited mobility, he wasn't able to move away from that, and that really limited the passing game. And so the Steelers spent money to solidify the you know the essentially the a gaps so that they could create a pocket in the quick passing game, and so that they could run the inside zone play there they can get away with a, a less powerful but athletic guy at the tackle spots because of the nature of how it, it seems like they're going to construct their, their offense. Again, movement-based. So what's that mean? On the outside zone play, that means a core of four has to be athletic enough to be able to position block guys. He doesn't have to be a physical beast that knocks those guys off, off the ball. And in the passing game, uh same deal if you're if you're running a lot of bootleg action a lot of times the, the the offensive tackle is going to just be asked to wash guys down horizontally uh rather than have to withstand a bull rush or uh you know match up against one of those those great uh pass rushers in the league so i think that they can protect O'Cor for a little bit with the scheme but that his athleticism is what they really value
1: absolutely let's go ahead with two more on that list
0: so I would go to the other side of the ball and 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 really say that uh, you know this this it, it would tremendously benefit the Steelers if we saw a breakout year from Alex Highsmith uh, playing opposite of T.J. Watt and with some of the things that the Steelers have done defensively, I think that Highsmith is going to have an opportunity to be in a lot of one-on-one situations this year. Cam Hayward remains, uh, you know, a Pro Bowl player. T.J. Watt. Uh, on the other side of the ball is one of the best in the business. Larry Ogunjobi, I think, is going to be a tremendous asset uh, as a guy who can help push the pocket. You, you're not going to be able to double Alex Highsmith. He's going to be in a lot of one-on-one situations as a pass rusher. We know he's a pretty good run defender, but he but the last few years he's just been a little bit short. You know, he just comes up a little short as uh, in the in his pass rush game. And this is the year where uh, with the Steelers having so many other talented players along that defensive front that he's got a chance to make a leap.
1: I agree with that completely. And, you know, he cost TJ watt the sack title by getting to the quarterback uh, a little quicker than TJ did towards the end there when TJ was going nuts. Let's talk about one more guy. And if you don't mind, if I throw in a name here,
0: yes, sir, please do
1: Kevin. I think it's going to be Devin Bush.
0: Yes, for sure. Why? Tell me why, Brian.
1: Well, you know what? The excuses are over, really. We know what kind of breakout year he had as a rookie. And he really, I thought he had a good breakout, but it wasn't the breakout that you're looking for. It was a great start. Let me rephrase that. He had a great start. It looked like it was going to be good. Through those first five games of 2020, he looked to be absolutely phenomenal. Then 2021 rolls around and he was not completely healed. He was, there could have been some tendency, uh, you know, he could have been very tentative just for the fact that, you know, is that knee going to go? And he wasn't fully healed to be able to do the things that he could possibly do. This is the year that he's either healed or not. He's either good or not. This is probably tells the tale, if you ask me.
0: Yeah, I think he stands to benefit from Brian Flores more than any player on the defense. Uh, I, you know, I know they still have Jerry Olsofsky coaching the linebackers, and um, they've got Denzel Martin as uh, the assistant uh, outside linebacker coach, and those guys, those guys are good coaches. But when I look at what Flores has done with linebackers in his career, you know, go back to his, his – his time in new England. He was in New England for a long time. And they were just, uh, one thing you knew every single year about the Patriots is they were going to be great at the linebacker spot. they were going to be physical, fundamentally sound. Uh, they were going to get to the ball. And, um, I think that, you know, sometimes it's just a, a coaching change can work wonders for a player. I mean, you know, talking about breakout players, guys who have breakout years, you think about Bud, Bud Dupree's career. You know, I mean, Bud Dupree's first couple of years, people kind of saw him as a little bit of a bust. I mean, it was a first round pick and he didn't quite put up first round numbers. Uh, but then something, you know, in 2018, after he'd been in the, the league a couple of years, uh, the Steelers got rid of Joey Porter, who had been, who essentially had been his position coach. Um, and and in 2019, Bud Dupree breaks out. Now I'm not blaming Joey Porter. I'm, ju- I'm not saying he was a reason, he was holding Dupree back or anything like that. I'm just saying that, Sometimes that change in coaches, a new voice in the room uh, can be tremendously beneficial. And, and all the Steelers have raved about Brian Flores and about what 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 he's been able to do. Miles Jack said it's like having a cheat code out there because he he he's so instructive. Um, so I think Bush has a tremendous opportunity under Brian Flores guidance to, to actually have that breakout season.
1: Yeah, I actually believe he does, too. But the big question is, will he do it? Let's go to Vegas again.
0: Are you putting money on this guy? Oof, I'm, I'm not putting money on him. I mean, if you're if you're telling me I have to I have to like lay down money and that if, <laughs> and that if it doesn't pan out, I lose that money. I'm not. And, and that's because of two uncertainties. And one, of course, is healthy. He, he certainly wasn't fully recovered from the ACL injury last year. And you just don't know what you're going to get as far as that goes. And then, two, there there is some concern about the way that he fits in the defense with Miles Jack as his partner. Is that a good pairing? So there's a little too much uncertainty for me to, to be willing to lay money on it, although I am optimistic.
1: Absolutely. And I agree with you with that as well. So what we're going to do is we are going to go ahead and let you rank. The top four as far as breaking out, because you feel like Claypool will. And if we bookend it, you're not quite sure. Let's put Shooks in there and let's go ahead and put Highsmith in there. Who's the most likely to be up there with Claypool and who's more likely to be down there with Bush or will they both be up or down?
0: Yeah, so I'm, I'm most optimistic about Claypool and Highsmith. Uh, I, I think sometimes with pass rushers, it, it takes a little while. And, and now it's, it, as close as Highsmith has been uh, to getting sacks over the last few years, you just feel like it's just a little bit more technique work. It's a little bit more uh, of a development on a counter move or a second move. Uh, and that, you know, with, with more reps and a better understanding of, about his opponents and, uh, and, and better opportunities to really be one-on-one like we talked about, that that he could really benefit. Uh, and then I guess the guys that I I, I am the, the the most hesitant about are, are Okorafor and Bush. Uh, Bush for the reasons that we just said and, and for simply because you said that, you know, he he was a project coming in and he hasn't shown, I, I think, the consistent growth that you'd like to see to expect him to to maybe make that leap this year. So I got a few concerns about him. What about you?
1: You know what I actually think think that it's going to be Claypole number 1. I'm looking at number 2 being Highsmith, 3 Bush and 4 Chukes. Yeah, you got the
0: same concerns about Chukes that I do.
1: Yes, I absolutely do. Um, I think he's uh, he's serviceable, but I'd rather him be your swing guy.
0: Yeah. Well, he's got he's got 30 million reasons to be great. Yeah. So, <laughs> I don't know. Does that, does that make you better? Or does that make you softer Oh, it's not guaranteed money in the NFL? So it better make it better.
1: It, it just depends who you are and what your mindset is.
0: Right. Right. And he, you know, he's, he's described by a lot of people as a soft spat, soft-spoken laid back guy. Uh, and there've been plenty of soft-spoken laid back guys who have been terrors on the NFL uh, on the gridiron. I mean, Troy Polamalu's name comes to mind immediately uh, which which so, you know, mm-hmm. You can, you can be that way, but, uh, but he, you know, it feels like a light bulb needs to go on. He's got, he needs to get a little nasty. And again, he's got a new O-line coach in Pat Meyer. And, and so maybe that'll be the thing. I, I, I obviously I'm biased as a coach, but I, I really put a lot of stock in coaching. I think coaching makes a huge difference. And so hopefully Pat Meyer will have a, a positive impact on, uh, on chooks.
1: You know, one guy, as we get ready to get out of here, and I learned this in my research, He's a Steelers Hall of Famer, and I did not know this, that he was so mild-mannered in the locker room and such a beast on the offensive line it was Dermonti Dawson to the point that his nickname was, do you know it? Mm, the Beast? Ned Flanders.
0: <laughs> Ned Flanders. I would have gone through a lot of guesses before I got to Ned Flanders. I
1: had no idea. I could have said the Simpsons. It would have taken you forever to find Ned Flanders, I think.
0: Never in my wildest dreams would I have associated Ned Flanders with Germani Dawson.
1: Yeah. So I guess that was his nickname by the players back in the day. Huh? There you go. Something...
0: <laughs> I love it. With that <laughs> being said, do we got a dude of the week? Uh, I'm going to give dude of the week to Chase Claypool only because it's an, it's a projection of mine. It's a, it's a, uh, I want him to be the dude. I want him to be the guy. You know that really that realizes all that tremendous athleticism and potential that, that he's got. So, if he turn, turns into a real dude, uh, boy, that, the Steelers are going to be good on offense,
1: absolutely. So, let's go with that, Chase Claypool. You've got to justify that dude of the week, it is a great honor. Dave Schofield has two of those, so with that, you know, you got to be good to be, be the dude of the week. So, back that up, buddy.
0: Heck so, yeah. For I Kev- feel like we need to, I feel like we need to keep track of these guys. And then, you know, so we, uh, we can have like a, you know, it's like how many times have you, uh, won the green jacket? You know, that's,
1: <laughs> I think we can go ahead and do that. Yeah. So with, with that being said, let's get on out of here for Kevin Smith. My name is Brian Anthony Davis. Keep your feet on the ground and Kevin. Keep reaching
0: for the hypocycloids.
1: We will see you next week. My friends take care.